Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 72. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the six, Cody Saftik on the line, breaking down a, I mean, it's 11 fights. There's 11 fights for us to, to, uh, to bet potentially this week, Cody. I mean, you always, you know, you got the PRP Potential. and all that. You're always in on everything to some sort of degree. But uh, uh, I look at the card and I think it's kind of like, ah, pick a few spots. You know, there's so much MMA every single week, whether it's UFC, Bellator. It's like you don't have to go crazy if you're not sold on some of these uh, some of these spots. So. I have a couple early ones in where I beat a little bit of line movement, but doesn't look like a card that I'm going to get like heavily invested in this week. What's your uh, yeah? I keep thought? trying to yeah, I keep trying to make my big uh, triumphant comeback and hit some big long shot parlays. But every week in and out, it's just very tightly contested, bad bounces. Uh, what can you do, right? Going into this week, I want to be optimistic. I want to say the same thing I say every week. Yeah, let's get these parlays going. But the fact of the matter is. Yeah, everything's like 50-50 fight, greasy. I wouldn't call it low level. I would just call it competitive matchmaking for the most part. So you don't necessarily have to go crazy. That being said, sometimes these low-key cards are the ones we do good on. Plus, it's only 11 fights, so you know, smaller sample size to go over. Hopefully go in and uh, get some winners. Yes, sir. I mean, Pav won last week was the play of the week, which uh, which bailed me out. Bat- did not Bakary that thing. I mean, it was a big night. It was you a big what? night for the, yours, the, truly, if if that doesn't happen with 39 seconds left. But that's the game we play. You you know, yeah, you, you're yeah, betting on yeah. humans. You're betting on human error in terms of the refing, the judging. It's it can be tough. It can be tough in this game sometimes. You, you know what, Paul? So so last weekend got a main event underdog and Sergey Pavlovich goes out there plus money and does the damn thing. Plus, we talked about his win condition was obviously the knockout and the under one and a half. So everything goes good in the main event. Co-main event, Bruno Silva goes out, Isis Brad Tavares, plus money on the right. It's everything else went pretty much disastrous for me. So, uh, Ricky Glenn, awful. Bobby Green, that would have helped out if it wasn't a no contest, but at mm-hmm. least the money came back. Uh, not a good weekend. So, again, all we can do is try to try to put a better one together this time around. All right, we got Ricky Simone taking on Song Yidong in the main event. Ricky Simone, a minus 120 favorite. Song Yudong could be half plus 100. You wonder, I wonder if like Song Yudong has went in and, you know, asked Uriah Faber how he did it. Because like that has always been my problem with Ricky Simon is Ricky Simone is um, he's made so many great improvements. He's, his grappling is super, super elite. He's obviously got a great gas tank. He's just continuously uh, worked his way back up the ladder. But like, I just can never get that knockout out of my hand, uh, out of my head. Song Yudong's been working at Team Alpha Male for a long time. He hasn't really been taken down all that much, so like, maybe early it's going to be easy for Ricky Simone to take him down. But I'm going to go with Song Yudong as this ever so slight underdog here as my pick. I haven't made a bet yet. I'll probably wait until weigh-ins because. I don't really think I'm beating any market moves on this one. Um, it seems like the market is pretty, pretty fifty-fifty on this one. But uh, I'll be taking the the plus one hundred ever so slight underdog in Song Yudong. What about you? 
Yeah, this is a fight that I don't got to bet on yet either. Uh, a 50-50 fight and the market sees it the exactly the same way. I think both guys have more than enough talent and capabilities to defeat the other man. It just depends who's going to be able to go out there and, and employ their game plan to the best of their abilities. Song Yudong, I think he is the superior striker. He's got the superior power. You see him go out there and give guys like Corey Sanhagen everything that they can handle on the feet. He is an elite striker. I think he's more durable than Ricky Simone. And if this thing is a stand-up battle, yeah, I, I would I would think he probably clips him at some point, but Ricky Simone's striking's come a long way, man. He used to be a guy with zero pop in his hands that didn't necessarily go out there and knock guys out. And then that half hour Sunsau fight completely ices him, used mostly striking and just pressure forward, let his hands go, clips him, knocks him out. And then his last fight with Jack Shore, people will remember it for him absolutely dominating Jack Shore on the canvas, but he also cleanly dropped him. His hands looked a lot better in that fight. So I don't think he knocks out Song Yudong, but I think his striking's actually come a long way. He just needs to use it long enough to pressure forward, get Song Yudong up against the cage, and then hopefully take him down. I think that would be the key. If we want to look at spots in Song Yudong's career, in the UFC anyways, where maybe he struggled, his fight with Cody Stamen. Stamen comes forward the entire time, takes him down five times. The fight ends up being a drop. Bullshit drop. Should have been a Cody Stamen win. Song Yudong got lucky there. But again, got taken down five times, largely controlled, outgrappled. And it was also that forward pressure. His fight with Marlon Vera, he struggled late in that one, but gave up two takedowns. His fight with Kyler Phillips, close decision, but he gave up three takedowns. That's the reason he lost. Gave up one against Casey Kinney, and then gave up one against Corey Sanhagen. So, Ricky Simone is an elite level wrestler. So elite that he took Marab Dabashvili down twice. You know? mm -hmm. Got taken down six times himself, but he pretty much takes everybody down. Jack Shore is a high-level wrestler, high-level judo guy, good grappler, I should say. Uh, you know, took him down with ease and then controlled him. Pretty much everybody he's wanted to ground, he's been able to get the takedowns again. So in a three-round fight, I'd feel a lot better about it because he could maybe just win those early rounds and then survive that third. In a five-round fight, Song Yudong will have more opportunities to get back up to his feet and hopefully land that kill shot. But I like what I see out of Simone. Pressure wrestling, pressure striking, cardio for days, fights at an elite level. And uh, as long as he doesn't get chin-checked, hopefully just run Song Yudong backwards. And that's where Song Yudong doesn't really have his most success. So, um you got Song Yudong. I don't think you feel great about it. I'm going to take Ricky Simone. Don't feel great about it. But uh, again, we'll see if Wayne's changes anything. All right. We move on down the card to the biggest favorite on on UFC Fight Night, uh, UFC Vegas 72. Kyle Barallo takes on Mikhail Olasheshuk. I will refer to him as Mikey O for the rest of this segment, as we always do, because that is that is just an absolute mouthful. Um, Barallo is a minus three seventy five favorite. Ola Shashek, I I lied already. Mikey O can be had for plus three ten. Cody, I don't get this line. I know Kyle Brow, very very smart fighter, you know. He's, he's put on some decent performances. He so, showed some really good promise. Takedowns are definitely on point. Um, but he he's really struggled to finish guys in the UFC. You know, like he's had, he's had opportunities to absolutely just maul guys. And he hasn't really found those submissions. Like Mahmoud Meridov, they go to decision. Armin Petrosian, able to take him down four times, they go to decision. I mean, Mahmoud Muradov was able to take him down twice. Like, that was a really, really greasy decision. And then they hang a minus 375 on him. Mikey O, what do we know about him? He used to fight at two, uh, 205. Was super undersized for that division. At 185, 
Guy could be a wrecking ball. Um, if he can stay, keep this fight upright, fight at his pace, because like Kyo's going to try to wall and stall, take him down, slow down the pace, grind him out. And, I mean, Mikey O hits hard at 205. At 185, we've only seen it once, but, like, pff, yep, he hits hard. At plus 310... And I haven't even looked at the props on this yet. Like, Mikey O seems kind of live to me. Uh, or talk me off the ledge or do whatever you got to do. Yeah, generally when you get these big plus money guys, they don't really have like a huge path to victory, at least not an obvious path to victory. But at least in Mikey O's case, 100%, man, he's a superior striker. He's got massive power in his hands. And he was never a 205er to begin with. 185 is his natural weight class. Uh, carries down that power. He was a hard hitter at light heavyweight. As a middleweight, even more so. Better striker. If he can keep this fight standing. I just don't know if he can keep the fight standing. I, at least if he gets taken down, try to get back up. But again, I think that's what Carl Baja was at his best, is that when he takes you down, you don't really go anywhere. I'll give Mikey O his due. This guy smacked hard. But here's two things about him. One, his grappling's not great. Two, I don't know if his cardio is all that good. When you look at him at 205, you can make the excuse he's you know, fighting up a weight class against larger men, but he's a one-round guy. He needs to go out there and finish you in the first round. If you look at almost all of his wins, he generally gets it done pretty easy. His last fight was his debut at 85. He knocks out Brunridge in the first round. Before that, Sam Alvey, first round. Shamil Gamzatov, first round. Uh, Gazmora Antigulov, first round. Jean Vellante, first round. So every single win he's had in the UFC, he's done in the first round. When he loses is when it's prolonged past that. He also tends to give up a fair bit of uh, you know, takedowns. And then when he is getting taken down, his grappling's not all that good. People remember the Alvin St. Prue fight where he dominates Alvin St. Prue to the tune of a 10-8 round in the first round. And then the second round, gassed out, he ends up getting Von Prue choked. In his next fight against Jimmy Crute, he got taken down, he got Kimura almost right away. So problematic to say the least. Even in his last fight against Cody Brunridge, cool, knocked him out in the first round, got taken down three times in that fight. So the difference between Cody Brunridge and Kyle Barahal is when Kyle Barahal gets the takedown, he generally just doesn't give you that space to get back up. I think the takedowns will be there. Most guys have been able to utilize them. The grappling should be there. You know, yeah, he's giving up the striking advantage, but he has the grappling advantage. He has the wrestling advantage. He has the cardio advantage. Those are all advantages that would cause me to pick him, which I am. But minus 375, I think I can agree with you. Not a great price tag, but I I think he, like, most obviously... Here's the other great thing, okay? So he debuts on the Contender Series, uh, Barahao does, and he's fighting Aaron Jeffrey. And uh, they call him the fighting nerd. He's got a neck tat. He looks like a badass, but all the same, comes out with his glasses. He's the fighting nerd. Okay, fair. Goes out there and out-grapples Aaron Jeffrey easy, but it's a boring fight. So Dana says, I'm not going to give you the contract even though you won. Come back. Comes back, wins over the worst guy you've ever seen. Finish that fight. What I'm getting at is, comes to the UFC and his three fights in the UFC have not been very entertaining. Not very entertaining at all. But they're very smart because he is the fighting nerd. He's very smart. And the smart thing to do is to just backpack these guys, which is what he does. And and yet, could he be trying to finish? Yeah, maybe he is, but he's not going to overexert himself. He's not going to put himself in a bad spot to do it. He'll just backpack you and win the rounds. He's cool with doing it. That's what he's been doing it because he's got high ring IQ. And high ring IQ sometimes leads to boring fights. John Jones is terribly boring. High ring IQ. Uh, George A. Pierre, pretty much boring for the most part, unless he's fighting a, a drunk Michael Bisbee high ring IQ. High, high ring IQ is not necessarily stand and bang in the middle of the ring, right? That That's just entertainment. So I think Kyle will do the right thing, which is use his grappling, 
which is the easiest path to victory for him here. So I do think he's going to win. Live underdog, sure, it's MMA. And I've been getting crushed on these live underdog guys that can bang. So uh, Mikey O's in play for sure, just not for me on my parlays or, or on my official picks this week. Yeah, while you're saying that, I found a Mikey O by KO plus 650, and mm. I couldn't help myself. I, I, I took a little dabble of that because that is wild, and that's how he wins most of his fights. Um, yeah. Rodolfo Vieira is a minus 225 favorite taking on Cody Brundage. You can be have a plus 190. Rodolfo Vieira... I mean, he's such a tricky guy, and any time that you want to bet him, it's like we've seen him really struggle on the scales, and him struggling on the scales has equated to him, you know, not having any sort of gas later in fights, having big-time struggles out there. Um, I mean, Fluffy, that Fluffy fight looks better the more that we see Fluffy improve. Um, Back then, obviously, Rodolfo was a massive favorite in that spot. And uh, it was it got pretty ugly pretty fast. But I mean, I don't think I've ever backed Brundage. I backed uh, Dolce uh, against him, and my God, Dolce almost had him dead on arrival pretty early in this fight or in that fight. Rodolfo may struggle to find takedowns here, but I wouldn't think it's too out of the realm of possibility that Rodolfo could actually win this fight uh, standing up. So Rodolfo will be the pick minus two twenty five. Don't love it. Um, maybe there's a prop to be had. Haven't looked too deep into the props yet, but Rodolfo Vieira by submission, not exactly recreating the wheel here. That'll be my official pick for this matchup. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to tell you on that one, but I will admit, I think I started off flirting with the idea of Cody Brunard simply because here's a guy that wrestled collegiately, probably does have the wrestling advantage. And if he can keep this fight standing, why can't he have his moments? The guy does hit fairly hard. His striking is not great. Don't get me wrong, but he's fighting Rodolfo Vieira. Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist in a stand-up battle. So why couldn't he make it happen for himself? Uh, Again, it would be a sprawl and brawl type of style. And Rodolfo has shown just to have awful cardio, whereas Brunage is a guy that I think could carry into those later rounds and and have some type of success. But yeah, the longer I think about it, oh, here's another thing, right? So Rodolfo's got a 27% takedown accuracy in the UFC. He went 0 for 22, 1 for 23 or something in takedowns against action man Chris Curtis. So if he don't get this fight to the ground, which is possible, you need to rely on him banging this thing out and winning a striking battle. And again, I'm just not so sure that that's necessarily going to happen. I mean, I don't know. But but anyways, this is why I switched back to Rodolfo Vieira. It's, like, it's not like his striking hasn't been improving. I think if you go back to the Dustin Stolfoots fight, you can see that, again, he's definitely been working in the gym on his boxing. And then in that Chris Curtis fight, just the simple, constant, threat of the takedown caused Chris Curtis to largely, I don't know, he fights with his hands low anyways, but fight with his hands low. He caught him with some good shots that put down Cody Brunridge. Thing is, action man Chris Curtis has got one hell of a beard on him. But again, you can't discredit the fact that he landed some good shots on action man, just couldn't take him down. Pressed forward, did everything he had to do. Ultimately, the victory just wasn't in the cards for him that night. But 33 years old, about to turn 34. Cardio's already suspect. Wrestling's really not all that good. Jiu-Jitsu's world-class, world-class, but again, got guillotine choked by Fluffy Hernandez once he gassed out. And striking is like work in progress. Like, is that enough for you to bet the guy at minus 250? So, yeah, I've been getting burned lately, but it's like plays like this. Like, the guy should win. You know, he's got accredited pedigree in history, but how often do you see these Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys just gas out and can take a mauling in there all the time, right? Is Brunridge able to 
replicate some of those game plans of taking into deeper waters and uh, beating them there. Maybe, maybe. I just don't love him personally. So I will take Rodolfo Vieira, but I'm going to put it lower this week despite that minus 250 price tag. All right, fair enough. We got uh, Julian Arosa taking on Fernando Padilla. Julian Arosa is a minus 175 favorite. Padilla can be had for plus 150. What are your thoughts here, bud? Yeah, so again, Arosa is the kind of classic play that I typically get burned on. Like, I like the guy. I like what he brings to the table. Volume for days, which if you know me, you know I love that. Great cardio, you know, deep with experience, and he's got some solid victories. When he went on his 5-1 and one run in the UFC, let's not discredit wins over Sean Woodson, Nate Landwehr, Charles Jourdain, Hakeem Dewadu. All very nice wins and solid performances. That's him at his best. Him at his worst is he can't take a punch. And, like, it's so frustrating because the guy is very skilled. He can wrestle as well. Solid grappling. Very nice submissions. Trains in Las Vegas with the best guys in the world. But if you can't take the shot, the durability is not quite there. I don't think you're ever going to reach the highest levels. And that's kind of Julian Arosa in a nutshell. So you can go back to his original 0-3 run in the UFC, 1-1 before that. You can go back to his run on The Ultimate Fighter. You can go back to all of these instances throughout his career where he's not only been knocked out, but been knocked out by light, pu light punchers early in fights. It's problematic. But, but we'll look at his most recent run, right? He beat Sean Woodson, but he got dropped in that fight. He beat Charles Jourdain, but he got dropped in that fight. Sung Woo Choi knocked him out in a minute 37, and his last time out against Alex Bruce Lee, Roy Caceres, obviously a first-round head kick knockout a little over three minutes into the first round. So any time that he's the favorite, I'm going to have an issue with it because, again, you add him to parlays, and you know he's going to have some wild and entertaining fight, but he's like a 50-50 guy. 50% of the time, he's going to bring his A game. The other 50% of the time, he's going to get cold cocked. Now, even Steven Peterson gave him one hell of a go, keep in mind. So what does Padilla bring to the table? What could Padilla po possibly do? Well, Padilla's got some decent power standing. You know, he's got some decent firepower, and I think that he does got enough to potentially catch Julian Arosa. The other thing is Arosa kind of is one of these quirky guys that at six foot one for the weight class is very long and hard to get a beat on. Doesn't fight like a tall guy, but I think because he is long, he gives guys problems. Padilla also six one. He's a long guy, hits hard, a decent cardio. You know, LFA veteran, but at least has fought in some decent guys at the LFA level. I want to pick a Rosa. I think I might pick a Rosa still, but I'm so flip floppy on it because I can see Padilla absolutely just knocking him out. So for the purposes of the show, I need some underdogs and I'll, I'm going to take Padilla. But like, uh, I want to take a Rosa. I really, really do. He's way more experienced, got way better wins, but you know the way the guy fights. And if he's the favorite, I just don't think I can get behind it. Yep. Yeah. Your boy, your boy, um, YC Lindsay probably uh, pretty upset with that breakdown there. The lack of faith in his boy yeah. Juicy J. Um, but yeah, that 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 Bruce Leroy knockout is very hard to get over to, particularly when there's a minus number uh, next to his name right now. And it's yeah, it's the same thing. It's like he's super super talented, he's super super exciting. Love having him in the UFC. Makes the UFC a better place when when Juicy J is in there. Like we 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 love. Watching his fights, this is probably going to be another super, super banger. Um, what is the the big question here is what's the, the under one and a half, the under two rounds? Is that is that actually or is that a typo that I made? That's what I'm looking at. I'm like, is that am I seeing this right? Yeah, no, that's a typo on the sheet that I handed you, I believe. Yeah, most definitely a typo on that. So 
disregard. It said plus 205, and I'm like, there is no way. I'm like, okay, let's back up the Brinks truck. Um, no, it's uh, a lot more reasonable. I think it's like minus 150 to the under 2.5, which is probably pretty accurate. Um, don't mind... What is this Padilla's guys like grappling like? Because on dra- on uh, on prize picks, Arosa takedowns is at what like one point five. Obviously, you I, run into I the can, risk I of considered that. Yeah, like that's kind of, but like then you're relying on Juicy J not just coming into a fight and just being like, let's throw, and uh, that's what he likes to do. And you know, he lives by the sword. He dies by the sword. I don't know enough about this Padilla guy to pick him, to be perfectly honest. So I'm going to be picking Julian Arosa, but uh, ever so cautiously because that chin can get cracked and has got cracked. And, yeah, Caceres is not a a punishing finish, finisher by any stretch of the imagination. So that's a really tough one to get, a, to get around. Um, yeah, Arosa is going to be the pick, but there's no way I'm touching that with my money. We got Marcos Rogerio de Lima taking on Waldo Cortez Acosta. Uh, Rogerio de Lima is a minus 155 favorite. Waldo can be had for plus 135. We always say these things, and it's kind of a bit of a cop-out. And, you know, in fairness, that heavyweight, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, if he's able to take you down, if he's able to just maintain top control, which is probably what he's going to be doing in this fight, um, as a strategy, the gas tank holds up pretty good. If you really make him extend, if you make him work for those takedowns, I'm still not convinced this guy has 15 minutes of cardio. Um, I think Delima does land takedowns here early against Waldo, who's really been un- really untested pretty much in the grappling department to uh, this stage in his early, early career. Um, but we get outside of five minutes, I think Waldo could... Definitely, definitely knock him out. I'm going to pick Waldo Cortez Acosta, but probably a fight I'm more interested from a betting perspective in the live markets. Or maybe maybe sprinkle like a late prop if uh, if the number's right. 100%, man. So you and I talk about it all the time when you got really low-level heavyweights or even you know, low-mid-level heavyweights that the plus money guy's always got a shot at this weight class. And uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta, 100%. This is a low-level heavyweight fight. Him at plus money, definitely looking for a, a little bit of action there. Rogerio de Lima just falls in the, the category of guys that I'm unwilling to bet ever Never, 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 because I really don't think he's all that good. That list of guys uh, could has Ronnie Yaya, who you saw go out there and have an abysmal performance last weekend, but also uh, Claudio Silva. Oh, awful Claudio Silva. They can win fights. They do win fights. They're going to cost me money from time to time, but ultimately they're not all that good. Rogerio de Lima was a light heavyweight. He's a light heavyweight banger. Ground game, apparently a black belt, but when you look at his losses, like Romanov uh, with a forearm choke, who's been forearm choked in the UFC in the last 25 years? Yeah, one guy, him. And he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt for the record. His fight with Stefan Struve, you know, drops him in the first round, lies on top of him. Second round, huffing and puffing so bad, Stefan Struve just puts him away. This guy, again, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. His grappling's not all that good. He's got decent power, I'll give him that. But as a heavyweight, like, I just don't know what he brings to the table. He's not super fast. He's not super explosive. He's super, like, lumbering. Uh, his cardio is no good. He makes terrible decisions while he's in there. And yet the guy wins fights, man. He's got some crazy power to him. So that's the one thing you can't take away from him is if you can go out there and knock you out, you're going to have some 
problems. Now, when I look at Acosta Cortez, uh, he's way better boxing for sure, right? Not a guy that hits particularly hard. He's got pro boxing experience, and he's more of a touch-and-go guy. Lots of volume. You saw that in the Chase Sherman fight. And a good gas tank because, again, he's not loading up on these any one strikes. So that first round should be Rogerio de Lima's because he's going to come hard. He's going to land those big bombing shots, whereas Acosta Cortez is looking to just kind of put money in the bank and, and tire him out into those later stretches. So I agree with you there. The other thing is the dude got taken down by Chase Sherman, outgrappled and lost the first round against Chase Sherman before Chase gassed out. So not a good spot to be in against Rogerio de Lima. You might get taken down in the first round. You could get hurt in the first round. You could get beat up in that first round. But if he can survive that first round, you might get an even better plus money tag on him and uh, live in the second and third round by simple virtue of Rogerio de Lima is not a good fighter. This thing goes beyond the first round. I think you're going to see the wheels fall off for him. So, uh, I, yeah, the pre-flop pick is going to be the, the underdog here. But, again, I think you can get an even better price if you wait for that live market. Or you get diced in the first round, and you don't have to worry about losing your money altogether. Yeah, if he gets taken down subbed like Andre Arlovsky did. Sure. Or, you know, then... well, Arlovsky got dropped and subbed, right? I yeah. think Costa Cortez is better chin, better boxer, going to move Fair. his head. And for that reason, I don't think Rogero de Lima. I think he knows his cardio is so bad that he's not looking to wrestle. Maybe try to here and there, but not commit to it. I think he's more so just going to wait for that one kill shot. Hopefully it doesn't land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 147 significant strikes against Chase Sherman. I was pretty surprised that Sherman survived. I believe I was on the over in that fight fight over two and a half um boy oh boy was that sweaty but yeah thankfully Waldo Cortez Acosta didn't really you know doesn't have didn't have the power to put Sherman away Marcos Rogero de Lima is like one of those guys it's like it's less about it's more about the cardio absolutely falling off of like a cliff and like he's like immobile if you make him work, you have to make him work. If you're just lying on your back, he can do that for 15 minutes, though. So, very, very interesting fight. But, yeah, Acosta, it sounds like, for both of us. We got another low-level heavyweight fight. We got uh, Jake Collier taking on Martin Budai. Minus 120 for Collier, plus 100 for Budai. Um... I have to side with uh, Jay Collier here in terms of just volume, sheer volume. Um, on prize picks, actually, uh, promo code DLP, again, match up to $100 on your first deposit. Uh, Budai's significant strike total, I think, is at 65.5. I've been hitting that uh, with like the tacos on Tuesday, and I've got it with uh, Egger under 33.5, which I think has moved to 31.5, but we can talk about that fight a little bit down the line. Call, uh, Budai got over it last time. He got to 66 significant strikes in his last fight. Um, very, very low volume. But it's like it's that Chris Barnett fight where, you know, I think that is going to be kind of his game plan here is like try to. I mean, we may be able to say, you know, Jake Collier, forder, former middleweight, and I'm not here to fat shame anyone. I don't have the world's greatest figure by any stretch of the imagination. But in an alternate universe, could Martin Budai with, you know, a little bit of marathon training maybe be a 205-er Cody? I don't know. Budai? Maybe. Uh, I, don't think I so. mean, Collier. Yeah, but if boy. you saw Collier, if Collier was never a middleweight before, you would never be like, that guy, like, he comes in at like 265 pounds. You'd never have been like, that guy could never have made 
middleweight. Like, you would never have said that. So, I think in a totally different alternate universe, potentially 205. I'm not saying 185. He'd be, he'd be a bone rack at 185. But uh, he's kind of a, he's a, he's a big, he's a big sloppy heavyweight himself. But low volume, and we say it with Jay Collier all the time, and sometimes he lets us down. He this is a guy that can go over a hundred significant strikes, and I haven't seen anything from Budai to lead me to believe that he can match that. So if it turns into a sloppy heavyweight banger that goes fifteen full minutes, and you'll notice that the over two and a half is juiced to minus one thirty five, I'm gonna side with uh, with Jay Collier to win. Jay Collier by decision would be my official pick. Um, yeah, but Budai under 65.5 significant strikes is a look for me on prize picks this week. What's your thoughts here? Yeah, so basically both guys are not terrible, right? I wouldn't say that they're like the lowest of the low-level heavyweight, but uh, their last fight is cause for concern. And like I feel, I don't feel comfortable backing either guy based on the last performance. So we'll start with Jake Collier. What do we know about Jake Collier? All the things you just mentioned. He's got decent cardio for a big guy, former middleweight, but now he's a heavyweight. He's super mobile. He's fast for the weight class, and he puts up good numbers. You know, over 100 significant strikes landed in multiple fights. Uh, ground game's also not terrible. But that last fight against Huggy Bear, Chris Barnett, Huggy Bear wasn't doing anything. Like, I don't know how he got gassed, so gassed, so fast. Mm-hmm. But pop, it was like an American-built muscle car, man. Like, he ran out of gas quickly. And then as soon as he did, it's like Huggy Bear just starts landing fat shots on him, and then they start to accumulate, and then he's hurt, and then he's sloppy, and he's desperate, and he gets put away by uh, by, by Chris Barnett, which is just like a terrible look. So... Based on that performance, if he doesn't have his cardio, then he's not a good heavyweight. If he does have his cardio, the, the speed and the cardio, that's, that's going to win you some fights. But again, if we're going to base him just on his last performance, I don't know if he was sick, if something went wrong, if at 34 years old he's just not taking it as seriously. I don't know what happened, but terrible performance. The other side of the equation, Martin Budai, on the contender series, he just smothers dudes up against the cage. That's his path to victory. He's a, you say he could make 205. I don't think so, man. He's six foot four, clocks in at 266 pounds. You know, he's a fairly big guy, but his best path to victory because he's not very fast. He's a natural heavyweight. He's not fast like Collier, but he's be strong, big guy, can lean on, leans on his opponent in the contender series extremely well. Lorenzo Hood, who's not very good, TKOs him in the first. His debut against Chris Barnett, he leaned on him. It was a decision win. It wasn't particularly exciting, but at least he can just control him and tire the smaller man out. And then his last fight against Lucas Brzezewski, he just chose to fight him in the open field. And as a result, he got doubled up on the striking numbers and should have lost that fight. I had bet him under the pretense he was just going to push him up against the Cajun wear on. Didn't do that. Fought completely unlike himself. Had a terrible performance. Should have lost. So if he fights Collier in the open field and tries to strike with him, yeah, no, dude, Collier's going to just put up 100 significant strikes, beat this guy, same way as Brzezinski, but probably gets the decision victory. The other side is that if he decides to just push him up against the cage and lean on him i think he's the bigger man i think he's got the better grappling i think he's got the deeper cardio and if collier's just going to gas out the same way he did against barnett then that's going to be a very effective path to victory so i can't get a great beat on this fight but they're middling heavyweights so i'm going to take that plus money and that plus money is currently on martin budai so that's going to be a pick for now all right we got charles johnson taking on cody durden charles johnson a minus 140 favorite durden can be had for plus 120 who you got here buddy this is another classic apple pie shitter for me, but I will 
take Charles Johnson. Uh, I can see it happening in real time that Cody Durden's going to win this fight. Cody Durden plus money. Like you could get better plus money on him a few days ago. If you capitalized on that, I don't fault you at all. The wrestling's going to be there all night. His cardio is not as terrible as everybody says. And that pressure, that ability to just constantly get his opponent down and grind his opponent down is very effective. And it's going to work extremely good against Charles Johnson. It just gives up takedowns left, right, and center. Now, he's got an excellent get-up game. I've always said that. He gives up lots of takedowns. You can see in the LFA, you know, five-round cardio uh, gives up the takedown, but again, always gets back up. And when he gets back up, here's a guy with some pro boxing experience, spent time in Thailand, nice striking, good volume, solid cardio. Charles is going to push a lot of guys. I think he beats Cody Durden. Again, it's how you base guys off recent performances. You can't look at them at their best because what I'm noticing is you bet these guys at what they can do at their best, and then they show up on Saturday night or Friday night or Sunday night or whatever it may be, and then there's not, right? So you kind of got to look at like what could possibly go wrong. In Charles Johnson's case, he smokes Jimmy Flick, and he looks like a million dollars, okay? But the mm -hmm. guy's on Twitter, and he's just thirsty for a fight. He's calling out everybody. He's calling out dudes that got broken ankles that are like, chill, man. Like, And, and if you say chill, you don't want to fight him, then all of a sudden everyone's ducking him. But he's like begging for a fight. So they give him O'Day Osborne. They give him O'Day Osborne. He takes it on like a week's notice. He takes it at a catch weight of 130 pounds. And he looked awful. Like, O'Day is not known for his wrestling, and O'Day took him down three times. O'Day was able to control him, whereas Johnson usually a lot better of springing back up. And that fight was 1-1, in my opinion, going into the third. And it was a close third round, minute and a half left. Who wants it more? And Johnson's tired. Johnson's tired because he took the fight on a week's notice after having literally just fought two, three weeks earlier. He did it to himself. And so then I see him spring up on this card. It's a month after the O'Day Osborne fight. So, like, the body doesn't respond as much. You're putting a lot of stress under it. Uh, I, I think he's known for rock-solid cardio. He's known for his ability to get taken down and spring back up. But he's just staying so active, Donald Cerrone style, that he's running his body down. And as a result, a guy like Cody Durden, all he needs is takedowns in the first two rounds and survive the third. So, plus money on him looks super tempting. But again, I'm the idiot that's going to take Charles Johnson because I believe he's going to outstrike him. He's got far better striking, better volume. Durden's not known for his volume. Sure, he'll get some takedowns, but then he's looking for control time. And it's hard to rack up long, long periods of control time against Charles Johnson. You can take him down. Holding him down is kind of a different story. So even if he gets held down for three minutes of a five-minute round, not good. But he lands the better strikes in those two minutes, does some damage, lands some combinations. I just hope the judges are looking for damage over control time, which is what they've been doing lately. So I'm going to take Charles Johnson, but... You know, buyer beware, I had him over O'Day Osborne. And in the third round, he had an opportunity to steal this fight and win it, and he packed it in and took his paycheck. And now he's fight, fighting a month later. I don't know how much he's into it as much as he's just looking to fight very free. Like, I don't got to get two checks every time. I'll just fight twice and get two checks. Like, that is that is that the mentality? If it is, Durden's a live underdog. So props to anybody that got him a couple days ago. Now you can still get him at plus money. It's just not as tempting. It is not as tempting. I took a little plus 170 on Sunday. Uh, hmm. of Cody Durden I most of the same things like I if this fight stays standing I don't think it's very I don't think it's very competitive at all like Cody Durden could could land some decent strikes but it's like he's gonna lose on volume he's gonna lose on mobility he's gonna have to go after the takedown which he does in his in his in his victories uh Arichi Lang took him down five times not that that's some sort of impressive uh feed against good man Richie Lang can wrestle yeah um that I mean, Carlos Mota was able to take him down four times, made it a really, really boring fight. But you know, he, but he does did what he had to do. 
Oh. Took him down four times, 17 significant strikes. It wasn't pretty whatsoever, but um, that that was the game plan. At plus 170, I didn't mind it. As it's like, I, I kind of thought this was more of like a 60-40 type of thing. So I was taking the underdog because I thought there was value on that side. I didn't lay a big bet or anything on it. I was just trying to beat a little bit of steam. Um, at, at the current price right now, I think the market's pretty accurate. I'll side with wrestling and Cody Durden, um, but like in terms of a formal official pick on the pro- on the podcast here, but uh, at plus one twenty, I really don't think there's any any meat on the bone for this fight at this point. Um, what was I going to say? I had something to say, but I can't remember. Oh yeah, Charles Johnson. He's on he's on pace for six fights this year, man. It's that's just what I'm like, saying. That's, that's all. That's all well and good. Like it's all <laughs> well and good. Like it was July of twenty twenty two. Where he had, where he made his debut, um, and what we're gonna be, yeah, April 29th is when this card is. If he fights again in two months, he'll easily in eleven months he'll have six fights, which is absurd. <laughs> and like, I'm sure he gets through his like rookie deal, because um, you know those are usually like three three fights. So it's probably pretty smart from that perspective. But when you're going out there fighting, getting hurt recovering and you have like a three a three week camp like how long like how much time is he putting in to like make improvements on his game and improve um so that's what i'm saying so that, i don't like it so I, I know i'm gonna get burned by charles johnson this week and i just know it that's but I, yeah. I can't i can't do anything about it Ugh. that's why i like my plus 170 better but yeah i think that i'm not a durden guy i've never been a durden guy um but at the number i i thought i had to take it um, he will be my official pick, but uh, Charles Johnson should absolutely destroy him on the feet uh, if the fight takes place there and Durden struggles to get the takedowns going. Uh, we got Josh Quinlan taking on a very, very short notice replacement in Trey Waters. Quinlan, a minus 180 favorite. Waters can be had for plus 155. Kind of surprised by this line, Cody. I mean, Trey Waters, if you, if you watched Dana White Contender Series, he took on Bomfim. Um, he's super, super long. And he's got like half he's got like decent striking. I don't know about his striking defense, and Quinlan is not the guy that you want to go up against if you are unsure against uh, about uh, someone's striking defense. Factor in the fact that this is on super, super short notice for him. I don't really know what he's been up to since then. Um, yeah, he did not eat punches very well. Minus 180, and like you know me, I'm usually the guy looking for underdogs. Well, minus 180 doesn't seem very unplayable. I think there's big questions about Josh Quinlan. What if he doesn't get the early knockout? Um, what if this fight is extending the later rounds? Does he have cardio? Yada, yada, yada. I don't know if we'll necessarily find out in this fight. Um Early Josh Quinlan props could be worth a decent look here. He's definitely going to be my pick here. Uh, Waters is not a guy I see myself backing very much in the UFC. What's your take here? Yeah, I got mixed emotions about this one. So, again, Quinlan is the very obvious pick, right? Undefeated mm-hmm. as an amateur, undefeated as a pro, and pretty much everything he touches just absolutely gets melted. Wins on the Contender Series. Unfortunately, uh, he had uh, some extracurriculars in him, so he got suspended for a couple of years. Comes back against Jason Witt, is not known to be able to take a punch, and then sure enough, he melts Witt with a punch. So like, it's not, you know, I don't think that was crazy. He didn't show us anything new. Here's my biggest worry: is that 
he's always the hammer. You've never seen the guy nail. Second of all, is his cardio any good, or does he have to rely on these first or second round finishes? So, again, undefeated as an amateur, undefeated as a pro, his opponent's taking the fight on a week's notice, and all Quinlan does is murder guys. It's a very obvious pick. It's a, I don't have to research this one, I'm just going to pick him type of pick. And he might make it look that way. He might look like a minus 1,000 favorite and completely smoke Trey. But Trey's a little bit of an unusual character, right? He's six foot five, with a 77-inch reach. So he's five inches taller than Josh Quinlan and also has that five-inch reach advantage. His striking... Yeah, not bad, man. You saw in the bomb theme fight that he looked good standing. He was putting some pressure on him. He was landing some shots. Once he got taken down, his grappling is no good. If you look at his losses as an amateur, he lost twice as an amateur, once to Elvin Espinoza, also by first-round submission. One time to Jason Faglier. Very unfortunate name, I know. But also by first-round submission. So grappling is not really Trey's thing. Trey's more of these one, these long guys. Bad takedown defense because of that really high center of gravity, but decent volume, decent striking, and a guy that's going to be able to land on you because of his long reach. I don't know for sure that on a week's notice he's going to have cardio, and the game plan here is going to have to be work Quinlan over down the stretch and hope that he's got suspect cardio. But that's just a lot of what-ifs and maybes, and I don't love it. I think, if anything, you take this one from the live betting standpoint. Quinlan usually kills you pretty quickly. So if he does, just wash your hands and walk away. If for whatever reason, Trey Waters is still in it, he's taking his best shots. He doesn't look like he's curled over huffing and puffing, and he's good to keep fighting on for another couple rounds. I think he's going to be able to work his way back into this. He's got decent volume, better volume than Quinlan, who's more of a sit-down-on-his-punches kind of guy. And uh, again, against Baumfiend, he looks good standing, and once he gets taken down, no good. You look at his last fight against Jalen. What was his last fight? It wasn't Turner, but it sounds like it. Fuller. Jalen Fuller, I think, on LFA. Yeah, again, same thing. Second round finish, takes him over to the second round. He's landing those shots. He's very hard to get a beat on. And if Quinlan isn't able to land that big shot, who knows? So, you know, I, I don't know. as I say all that, and I'm like, I'm going to take that shot on Trey. Here's the two things that make me just not want to do it. One, week's notice, man. You can't really oversee that. That's a tough go. But when the UFC calls you and says, would you like to make your UFC debut? It doesn't matter if the guy's name's Magomedov and it's three days notice. You, you say, yeah, it's just what you do when you're on your very first fight of your deal, right? So I don't know if he's in great shape or not. Second thing is six foot five, you know, that's that's a, such a great advantage. It is, but those guys tend to stand very tall, and like Winland's gonna come over the top with a hell of a haymaker. So, mm. uh, I think your best path. What's the under two and a half? You got it in front oh, of you. Oh, it's that. Sorry. That's super juiced. That is super yeah, juiced. That's minus. Oh, it's set on an under. It's an under. Mm. Um, and that's juice too. Yeah, I don't like it. Quinlan, I don't like it at all. Quinlan's got a couple submissions on his record. Are we just disregarding because we've seen what we've seen at the higher levels is mostly just him absolutely bombing on dudes and people and bodies hitting the floor. Does this guy have a little bit of a grappling game because that looks very exploitable with uh, with so Trey guys, Waters. Guys like K.O. Barahal, the reason why they're so boring is they're so smart and he mm -hmm. would just know that's the path is the grappling and he would use it. Right. Guys like Josh Quinlan, they knock everybody out. That's the path. Well, he's had, he's got two submissions on his it, record. Right? Like in his pro yeah, record, yeah, yeah. Dallas Jennings. I did not. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't watch either one of these fights. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I did not watch Dallas Jennings and watch his rear naked joke. Maybe I should do that by or by Saturday before these fights go on. But yeah, and Aaron Thompson. Uh, I mean, the one, the Dallas Jennings one shouldn't be hard to find. It's LFA 103. Um, that should be on Fight Pass. I'm gonna go watch that. Maybe there's like a real super. Super brain. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? 
you know, big brain type of thought is like Quinlan by sub. That would be thinking in a different different angle. Galaxy brain. Thank you, producer Megan. That was the term I was looking for. Um, there could be something to that. I'll have to I'll have to watch that fight before I do anything about it. Because like him round or him in round one is like plus one ninety. I mean, the market is telling you it's like Quinlan is going to like if he wins, he wins early. That's generally uh, how it always plays out with him. So I don't know. There's 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 something more to this fight. Than, than I'm seeing because I was actually expecting like Quinlan to open up at like minus 300 here. Um, so the fact that it was like a lot, I mean, it opened at minus 150 and some action did come in on that minus 150, but I feel like I'm missing a piece of the puzzle because I really expected the line to continue to grow and it hasn't. So um, I definitely have to look a little bit more into it. Sounds like both of us are picking Quinlan and you are very hesitant um, in doing so. Um, we got Stephanie Egger taking on Irina Alexeva. Egger, a minus 275 favorite. Alexeva can be had for plus 235. I took it the other day um, on prize picks. Under 33.5 significant strikes for Egger. Super, super low number. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not the most familiar with Irina Alexeva. Alexeva's, I mean, doesn't look like Alexeva has really fought all that many people um her like the the fight that her her debut fight was uh finished at 323 of round 1 against something called a Golnera Garayeva um and it was a loss refusal to fight so maybe i got to dig that one up cuz that's got to be pretty hilarious um in pro mma but yeah Edgar in terms of my prize picks play there Never got over 30 significant strikes. She's never got over 29 in all of her fights, and there's been a couple decisions in there. Um, she's just a super, super low-volume uh, fighter in general. Like, the strikes just aren't there. She's usually, if she gets you to the ground, she's immediately looking for, for submissions rather than securing position and, and getting ground and pound going. Um, don't mind that. Hate minus, you know me, minus 275 on Edgar. Um, not, not going to be getting too heavily invested in, in her in any, sh- in sort of way, besides maybe some like the gen parlay, she's going to be my pick, but the prize picks under is, uh, is how I'm approaching this one. Uh, what's your take here, bud? Yeah, I think Irina Alexeva is more so just like a byproduct of, uh, some clever marketing in Russia. They call her the Russian Ronda. She's got some sambo and some judo pedigree but like you can't find anything and so the fact that it's not readily available and believe me i can find stuff it's probably not that good you know it's i don't think her grappling is really all that good but uh you know she's pretty and she's got some skills so they throw her in there but here's what i noticed in those fights that you're talking about those refusal to fights she comes in at 145 pounds her debut okay her opponent not at 145 Paul. it's like she's twice the size of her right so she wins that second fight almost certainly wasn't a full rules MMA fight because I, I've never seen a fight other than I've seen it twice. Uh, Kimbo Slice versus Dada 5000, they stood it up from full mount, and Bobby Lashley versus Chad Griggs, they stood it up from full mount. Outside of those two times, who stands the fight up in full mount? So I'm thinking it was like, hey, if this fight hits the ground, you, it's like you, we're going to stand it up if you don't do anything within the first, which is a Sambo thing, right? Which is a lot of different rule sets. So 
I don't know how deep pro MMA experience she even has, but she's almost always the much larger fighter. This fight with Lilia Kazak, who actually does have a little bit of judo, doesn't look good in that fight. Um, what you can see with her, she's very slow, but she's got some power. So she's a bigger girl. She's got some legitimate power. The boxing, awful, okay? The kicking game, not so bad. She's got some decent kicks from range. And again, everything she does throw, she throws with power. If she was to strictly fight Stephanie Egger in a striking battle, she's going to be landing those heavier shots, no doubt. Can she keep that going? I'm not so sure. And then you go to that fight with Stephanie Page. So the fight with Stephanie Page, despite her entire career at 145 pounds, a Bellator is like, yeah, listen, you know, we don't got anything here. So they agree to a fight at 125. It's two weight classes lower. And then she missed weight by five pounds. Her opponent came in at 124 and a half. She came in at like 129.8 or something. So uh, this fight's at 135, which again is better for her than 125. But she's coming off a fight where she just missed weight, down two weight classes. Her crushing, your can crushing days in Russia were at 145 against much smaller opposition. Like you almost certainly got to wait until you see the weigh-ins to see what kind of shape she is in, in the, what kind of physical uh, size she has here because Stephanie Egger is, if you're the Russian uh, Rondo, then she's like the Swiss Rondo. She actually has legitimate a judo pedigree, right? A judo black belt, uh, a decent level judoka who I believe won like the under 23 Europeans. So uh, yeah, she's best inside the clinch. Striking, not all that good kind of mechanical i would give the power advantage to alexiva who's probably going to be able to land kind of those more thudding blows again her kicking game should be able to win it from the outside but all of her fights end up in the clinch because she just overpowers girls at the clinch if she clinches up with edgar edgar is going to have the clinch advantage she's going to land those short little knees on the inside she'll pin her up against the cage she'll work for takedowns she'll wear on her and it doesn't matter that you can land heavy kicks from the outside both girls like to clinch almost all of both girls fights end up in the clinch this fight will probably end up in the clinch. Got to be advantage for Stephanie Egger, who also has the experience on her side that she's fought multiple times in the UFC. I got some decent opposition, given a fairly good account of herself. So got to go with Stephanie Egger. But, you know, talking about spots, you always get burned on. Pat Mayo would throw all of this logic out the window and take a Lexiva. Probably still win. So, like, <laughs> just a head scratcher. That's, that's, that is the Pat Mayo special for sure. All right. We got Brian Kelleher taking on Journey Newsom. Minus 135, Kelleher, plus 115 for Newsom. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Brian Kelleher. Is he washed? I don't know. We'll find out. 36 years old, not super old. But as far as 135 pounds goes, yeah, once you start losing some of that speed, the durability, it's not good because everybody's really fast and everybody hits fairly hard. So Kelleher might be on his back nine for sure. But <laughs> I'll give the guy one thing. It's hard to say he's washed considering he only loses to the creme de la creme. His UFC losses are to Marlon Vera, top five. John Lineker, former absolute badass, title, you know, title challenger level guy at his best. Montel Jackson, stud on his way up. Cody Stamen, stud, top 15 type guy. Ricky Simone, who's headlining this card. Umar Nurmagomedov and Mario Batista. So... I mean, he's a gangster. He's willing to fight absolutely anybody. And the fact that he's losing is not really indicative of that his skill's not there anymore. Just he's fighting way out of his league, man. Uh, when you look at him versus guys kind of relatively at his level, he's like um, one of these guys definitely willing to stand in the pocket and exchange with you. Decent power, you know, a clubbing right hand. But beyond that, I think his wrestling's kind of underrated. He likes to rack up big numbers in the wrestling. His last two wins, Kevin Kroom and Domingo Pilarte. Six uh, takedowns against Kevin Kroom three against Domingo Pilarte. In the Pilarte fight, he had 12 minutes and 49 seconds of control time against Kevin Kroom. He had 626. Not nearly as good with the six takedowns, but 
Um, I think he wants to rely on his wrestling. Can he bang? Sure. Does he have a nasty guillotine choke? Absolutely. But you can't just rely on clipping the guy with the big shot or, or landing that guillotine choke. And I think he's smart enough to realize, go to his wrestling. But when they match you up against Umar Nurmagomedov, that wrestling can't be <laughs> utilized. When they give you Mario Batista, it's probably not going to get utilized. Most of his losses are going against guys that he just wasn't really able to get his wrestling going. But I would see pass here against Journey Newsom to potentially ground him and then just secure round time. Journey Newsom, you know, more of a jiu-jitsu guy, a little bit of boxing, likes those light kicks from the outside, has some decent enough power, enough to clear cock uh, a guy like Brian Kelleher just because of his reckless style. But at the same time, not necessarily enough to say that he's just going to absolutely knock him out. To me, it's the takedown defense. How does that check out? Uh, in his fight against Sergey Morozov, he gives up six. In his fight with Ricardo Ramos, which is his UFC debut, and by the way, that's like four years ago, he gave up three. In between, though, Domingo Plarte, not a wrestler. Randy Costa, not a wrestler. Fernie Garcia, not a wrestler. So those guys don't take him down. The guys that do want to take him down are able to do so and rack up some control time. Keller probably tries to get back to that version of himself and rack up control time, so... I would take Brian Kelleher. I would also be greedy enough to chase it by Brian Kelleher by decision. Uh, go back to, again, his last two wins, both decisions, both utilizing the wrestling. 36 years old. He's looking to get both paychecks because he doesn't want to fight six times like Charles Johnson. So he'll fight the smart game plan, I think, and and hopefully just take him down and play it safe. That's got to be a spicy, spicy meatball that you're talking about there. Um, that prop, what is the price on that, Cody? I mean, I I don't I really I don't really understand. Decision winner, Journey Newsom's durable enough. Like I don't think they're crazy. What we got Prime here? Oh yeah, it is. It is juice. He's to a the, finisher. It is juice they're to the over two out. and a half rounds. Um, yeah, Kelleher by decision. The only number I see right now. Yeah, it's not actually very good at all. Um, plus one fifty in one spot. There is a plus two fifty out there in another spot so there's definitely differentiates it always pays to price shop um if you're ever going to do anything um i really struck like i'm really confused by this one this week there code um keller opened up at minus 205 um and then money has just been piling in on journey newsom but i see a lot of the same things as you it's like i think we're dealing with a guy who's not exactly a great uh, a great grappler by any stretch of the imagination taken down six times against sergey morozov um, Ricardo Ramos took him down three times. I think he has good enough BJJ that unless he gets caught in the perfect guillotine, that that the Keller shouldn't be able to just take him down and submit him by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm surprised that this is like moving towards a pick'em right now. Um, maybe it's just they think that Journey Newsom is gonna clip him. But then why is the over so uh so juiced? Like I'm very very I've got lots of questions about this fight. In general, um, really don't really this understand, card, bro. This whole card's tough. Oh, man. I just don't really understand what what the market like. The yeah. market. I was surprised. Like, I didn't. I thought maybe some people take a little bit of action on Journey Newsome right out of the gate, but now that we're getting closer to a pick, I'm like, I, it may force my hand into a Brian Kelleher. I see a lot of the same things as you, um, Kelleher, g- getting takedowns, sticking to the game plan, playing this one smart. Because frankly, even though it's not his fault, it's like taking on Mario Bautista and Umar Nurmagomedov is no easy task by any stretch of the imagination. You know what happens to people when they lose three straight fights in the UFC. This is kind of that fight that they can sometimes show you the door. Um, So 
It's a put up or shut up type of fight. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Brian Boone Kelleher, who is a bit of a goofy guy on like social media and stuff, like I wouldn't be surprised if he takes this one very, very seriously, looks at the game plan that needs to be implemented here and really re- relies on that wrestling. And yeah, I see it the same way as you. Brian Kelleher, by decision, is my pick. Uh, I'm going to continue to wait, watch this market continue to move and... We'll see after weigh-ins, may, may be forced to, to play a little bit of Brian Keller. not going to lie. All right, we got, uh, finally, we got uh, Jamie Lynn Horth taking on Haley Cowan. Jamie Lynn Horth is a minus 145 favorite. Cowan can be had for plus 125. This is a line that flipped. Um, I got a my. I have some minus 103. Not going to lie, Cody. I just more or less looked at her record and was just like, 5-0 and Canadian taking on Cowan, who, I mean, who knows if this fight actually happens because, like, Cowan fights Cowan, don't see. Yeah. Cowan just kind of seems to pull out on uh, on fight day or the, or sorry, the on, on weigh-in day. We're making habits here at this point with it. Um, tell me, tell me whether my Jamie Lynn Horth bet is good or bad, Cody, because I haven't. I haven't watched tape on it. I was just like 5-0. and oh. Cowan seems like a fade to me. Didn't like her fight on... Like, I've watched Cowan's Contender Series fight where, like, she was holding her opponent up against the cage. It was really, really greasy. Really, really close. Wasn't very impressed with her skill set whatsoever. And then she's had all these weigh-in issues since then. So, um, I took Horth minus 103. The market seems to agree with me. Do you agree with the market? Well, I wore my DraftKings hat because Haley Cowan is the DraftKings killer. It's not actually completely her fault. The fight with Eileen Perez, she got ill like right before the fight, killer. And then uh, her fight with Tamiras Vidal, Tamiras Vidal was the one that pulled out. Both times medical issues, both times right before the fight. So, uh, yeah, she's definitely had a bad run of luck, but I can't completely fault her for that one. But, yeah, no, I like your pick. I like Jamie Lynn Horth. I think she gets the job done. I'll be honest with you, Jamie Lynn Horth has been like Canada's you know, hidden secret for a long time. And for the life of me, I can't figure it out. As an amateur, she was an absolute beast. She shows two wins over Lupita Godinez uh, in the amateur ranks, and she was super solid. Uh, she is currently, I don't know if they're, in, I think they're just partners. We'll just call them partners. But her partner is uh, Cody Smith, which is the older brother of Cole Smith, UFC veteran, BC boy. So, yeah, again, like she's been with that UFC level training partners, coaches, the experience going down to Las Vegas. She's always been right there with them. And then Cody, right, who basically manages her, this guy's messaged everybody in the game a hundred times over begging for fights for her. They want to fight. They want to fight whoever. And I never figured out how come this girl never gets a fight. It's not for lack of effort. Believe me. I've been blown up a bunch of times. Can you get her a fight? Is there anybody that would like to have her? It's just she doesn't really compete all that much. Beltran never give her a shot. I sent her contact over to Invicta. Nothing ever materialized. LFA was going to give her one. It fell through for whatever reason. The Contender Series, multiple opportunities for them to bring a girl like that in. Never did. So quietly, she's 33 years old, and she's fought effectively one time in the last three years. Her wins over Lupita Godin as her 2017 amateur fights. As a pro, she's fought since 2018. She has five pro fights in about five years, right? So not... Not good. The other thing is, again, we talked about this earlier. When the UFC calls and you're debuting, you just say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in, I'm in. So when you look at Jamie Lynn Horvath, all of her fights have been at 125 pounds. She's a 125er. But the UFC calls and says, would you like to fight Haley Cowan at 135? You just say yes. 
you 100% just say yes. So Haley Cowan's actually got some decent size for the division and likes to clinch, likes to fight in the clinch, likes to try to wear on opponents, doesn't want to hang at a distance, wants to make this a clinch-type fight. So if she's able to do that, if she's a larger girl and she can make this a clinch fight, then she'll have success. But I think Jamie Lee Horvath, rock-solid takedown defense and rock-solid kickboxing skills, I think she just shoves her off, keeps it at range, lands the bigger shots, and wins this fight. So I agree with you. I think she wins. I think the line's still not so bad on it. People have figured it out. She was plus money, and now she's the favorite. But uh, yeah, yeah, good way to kick it off. And uh, I think uh, Canada gets a win, hopefully. All right. Uh, yeah, the plays that I like on prize picks this week, uh, Kelleher, more than two takedowns. Uh, Cowan, less than 60.5 fantasy score. Based off of you saying that she's going to struggle to get takedowns. It's like, that's kind of how I thought she would get over 60.5 on the fantasy score if she was going to do it. Uh, Budai under 65.5 significant strikes and Edgar under 30.5 significant strikes. Uh, bets that I am on this week as of Wednesday are we've got uh, Jamie Lee Horth. Minus 103, uh, Durden, plus 170, and uh, Mi- Michal Shek 650 by KO. Um, without further ado, Cody, hit him with the PRP. We're going to go with Ricky Simone this week, even money pick. KO Barajal, Rodolfo Vieira, uh, Fernando Padilla, dog number one. Walto Acartes Acosta, dog number two. Marin Budai technically would be dog number three, but it's another even money pick, so we'll just leave it at that. We're going to go with Charles Johnson. We're going to go with Josh Quinlan. We're going to go with Stephanie Egger, uh, Brian Kelleher, and Jamie Lynn Horvath is technically the favorite now. So, yeah, it doesn't look great. It's like, oh, you're only taking two underdogs. But really, you know, it's two underdogs and three even money picks. So it's just going to be one of those cards. We're going to need the bounces. We're going to need our fighters to show up to the best of their abilities. But, you know, it's in the fight god's hands, right? So the research has been done. Hopefully we just get the the strokes that we need, my friend. Yes, sir. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.